there's going to be multiple facets to your ministry, and that multiple, those multiple facets are going to be different for each one of us. In other words, there are things in my life that I have giftings and talents, and the vision for me is going to be different than yours because God's got a different plan. So let's, um, let's take marriage. Let's say you're married. That's going to be a facet of your vision and your future. And so you've got a choice. You can be stuck in the old ways and the old cycles, or you can catch a vision of what marriage is meant to be and how it honors God. So let's build a little bit of that vision and see how you begin to implement Scripture into that part of your vision. So you may start out and say, well, I want to be happy. Uh, Number two, I want to fight less in my marriage. Number three, I want to be heard. Number four, I want, wait a minute, no, that's not building your vision. These are great thoughts, and there are benefits of a marriage maybe that's running well to where, you know, you're happier and you're fighting less and you're, you're hearing each other, but that's not how you develop a vision. You have to stop and carefully consider what would a godly marriage look like. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with Pastor Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona, welcoming a guest speaker for this message. I'm Joe Hardy, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, Visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now, with today's message, here's a word from our guest. A few weeks ago, we added to our staff a dear, dear friend, Pastor Ray, would you come? Because he is speaking this morning. I feel a little out of place. I uh, watch Pastor Tim as he preaches up here, and usually there's a lot of motion and there's excitement, and he raises his voice, and he's really into it. Then Pastor Philemon. I don't know if you saw the Facebook where he was up here, and he made his point. Well, somehow that's not in me. (laughs) So I will be a little humdrum by comparison. Unless you think I'm making fun, I'm jealous, okay? (laughs) Let's pray before we begin. Father, we just come before you with praise on our lips and in our hearts for who you are. And I just pray that you would be with us this morning as we examine the truths of Scripture, and I pray your Scripture would come alive to us as, as I speak, that you would speak through me, 
that your blessing would be on all that goes on. And we praise you and we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The old man was determined to take his son to the mountains. He gathered supplies and with two men saddled up and headed out. All his life, this man had honored God, and God spoke to him often. But as they traveled, the old man was troubled by what he had just heard from God before they left. He was wondering, he was questioning himself, did I really hear from God? What am I missing here? He struggled to keep his mind on the trip. After three days, they came to the mountain that they'd been looking for. He told his men to stay in camp while he and the boy went up the mountain to worship God. As the old man and the boy walked over the rocks and slopes, he forced himself to focus step by step. God had promised him this son, a promise that God kept even though he was a hundred years old when he was finally born. As they reached the top of the mountain, the fire was being laid. And the boy said, we have fire, we have wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? He went on to build the altar, but he was fighting inside of himself. His head was spinning as he fought the thoughts of what God had told him. Take your son and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. God had always been faithful, kept his promises, but this, focus, focus, trust God. He bound his son, put him on the altar, drew his knife in the air, and God said, stop! Don't lay a hand on the boy. Now I know that you fear me, because you have not withheld from me your only son. We all know this story about Abraham and Isaac as recorded in Genesis 22. And we all know the sign that it gives, uh, the, the foreshadowing of Christ and how he would be the sacrifice that takes place. But can you imagine the courage and the strength and the struggle that went through him trying to reconcile his feelings about his son in contrast to obeying God, the very God that had given him that son? But this kind of belief and strong faith often seems to escape us. I know I struggle with that often about, is that really you, God? Are you telling me to do this? Is this what I'm supposed to be about? And we're staring this stuff in the face, and Satan is whispering in our ear, do you really believe this stuff? I was talking to a good friend here uh, the other day, And he was so discouraged that his life was so stuck. He felt like he was exactly where he had been last year, maybe the last few years. He just couldn't seem to overcome things and gain. He struggled with the same stuff, the battles that had come from his past life, where he had gone, all the opportunities missed, family issues that seemed to uh, never go away. He fought the same battles at work. Relations from the past hurts just couldn't be healed. He often questioned, God, where are you? You need to do something. Step in. Please help. 
he was particularly disillusioned that the harder he tried, the more he stayed where he was at. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes we all spend our time in those places, in those valleys where we think things just haven't changed. Why do I keep on sliding back? Do you ever feel that way? Your stuff gets in the way, and you find yourself in those places just never going forward. I know I feel that way sometimes. We battle every day to overcome the bad thoughts, bad attitudes, bad language, not being truthful, anger, maybe fighting addictions. We struggle with relationships, marriages, family, finances, jobs, personal and spiritual battles, even church battles. We have our lists, and it's all the same. And we keep on moving forward, sliding right back into it, wondering, how in the world does this keep happening? We try our best month after month, maybe for years, and then we realize nothing changed. We come away discouraged. Oh, we make gains, and we slide right back again. The same struggle, the same temptation, the same defeat. We tell ourselves, you know, I can't believe it. Will I ever conquer this? And ultimately we say, what's the use? I'll just stay here and I'll just exist where I'm at. For two years, Al Rhodes and I, Al, lift your hand over here. Al Rhodes and I ministered at the Winslow Prison every uh, Monday night, uh, a lot of m Monday nights. And we uh, talked uh, with prisoners, men that were from 18 to 50 and 60 years old, all had stories that explained why they were there. They talked about their circumstances, and they talked about their past, and they all seemed to have little hope. Al and I counseled and uh, studied with these guys, and there were men there that were in prison that knew Scripture. Knew Scripture as well or better than Alan and I did, and yet they were in prison. Some of them multiple times. Everyone had a plan and a dream, and they knew that when they got out, things were going to be different. Things were going to change. They would not do this again. While they were there, they were desperately calling, writing, trying to rebuild relationships, promising things would be changed if they got out and people would just have faith in them. But do you know, according to statistics, about 77% of them will be back in prison within five years, 37% of them within six months, sliding back, back in the same place. In some ways... We're no different than they are, fighting battles that we talked about a minute ago, all of those same old struggles. And they may be physically in a prison, but we find ourselves in a prison trapped because we just can't seem to move on. So why are we stuck in our past? Why are we stuck in these places? Why do we find ourselves struggling so much? Well, in the first place, we have an enemy. He wants to take you out. Satan wants to trip you up in every way he can. He's a, he's a liar. He's deceptive. 
and he fights hard to keep you in the maze of where you find yourself. This is exactly what Satan wants you to believe, though. There's no way out. Never, never going to change. You are stuck where you're at. John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. As a matter of fact, Satan is so good at this, he can even um, make you think you're doing the right thing, only to find out you, it's a real bad idea. In uh, Proverbs 14.12 it says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to destruction. I mean, you get all involved and you think you've got it all figured out and you move not with the counsel of God, but you think you're doing right, and it ends up in destruction. Satan is right in the middle of all of this stuff. So how in the world do we get past this stuff? There's a second problem here, and it involves you and I. I was at a Christian men's network meeting in Texas several years ago, and one of the keynote speakers was A.R. Bernard. Um, he's the founder of a small little church in Brooklyn called uh, the Christian Cultural Center. It's a small little group of about 37,000 people. <clears throat> he said something, though, that really impacted me. It changed me. He said, a man without a vision will always return to his past. Let me say that again. A man without a vision will always return to his past. Hmm. He went on to explain that a man without a future, I'm sorry, a man without a vision has no future, and a man without a future will always return to his past. So you see the vision and your view of the future has everything to do with that sliding back into that place where you're hopeless and you can't seem to move forward. It's the same principle that we see in Proverbs 29:18. says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So we need vision. We need to begin to look for what God has got for us. That Proverbs 29:18 verse says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Lots of times we quote this verse and we preach about it, and it talks about the church, and where the church has no vision, the people in that church perish. Well, let's personalize that a little bit more. Where you and I don't have vision, we perish individually. So we need to have vision. The New American Standard takes this verse and gives a little more light to it with the word perish. I like the way it reads. It says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. What's that mean? What does it mean that we are unrestrained? It means... That we, are unrest- uh, that we are unrestricted, unchecked, unrepressed, unbridled, excessive, uncontrolled, uninhibited. No vision, this is what happens. We've got to have vision. Again, a man without a vision has no future. A man without a future will always return to his past. So what's a vision, and how does it is it define, how does it define our future? For purposes of this uh, teaching, let's define it as your vision is a well-informed understanding of the plan that God has for you. It is your future. So 
Your vision is a well-informed understanding of the plan that God has for you. It is your future. There's another scripture that we just talk about all the time in churches. It's Jeremiah 29.11, and we just love this because it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You know, this is starting to maybe get to, to the key of what we're talking about here. But understand that this scripture is a statement of God's promise of a plan for us. But there is more involved than the fact that God already has a plan for you and me. We have to actively find out what is that plan that will give us hope in the future. We just can't run out and say, oh, goody-goody, I've got a plan that God's got for me. And then sit there and wait. Nothing's going to happen. We have to be proactive in this. Each of you is uniquely formed by God. He's given you abilities, skills, talents. He's crafted things in you that are spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical gifts for a purpose. And that's every one of you. It's not just Pastor Tim. It's not Pastor Philemon. It's not the leaders in this church. It's every one of you that's sitting in a chair here this morning. God has a plan for you. And he's had that plan ever since he created you. He created you. He has a plan for you. Psalms 139.13 says, For you created my innermost being. Talking about what God did. You are knit together, and I saw you knit together in your mother's womb. God saw to it that you are who you are, and you have abilities and skills and talents. God just wants to use it. God personally formed you, knew you before your birth, and he planned for you. God knows where you are, even right now, what's happening in your life, and he's still waiting to use you in that plan. Oh, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've been about. You don't know how, what a slug I've been and, what, and the things that are so bad in my life, and I've made choices, and I've been in prison. I've, you know, I've got families that tore up. I mean, on and on and on. God's still waiting. God's still there. Because each of us is so carefully crafted by God, the vision for your life is going to be different than the vision for my life. Now, understand, it's all going to be based on the principles and purposes of Scripture, but he individually has a plan for you. And as pastors talked about, uh, both pastors have talked about in some of their sermons, if if uh, that doesn't come about, well, God will see his will done eventually some way. But he really has a plan for you to do those things. So you need to know that God is still there and still waiting for you. Now, it's important that you understand God will not do our part, and we cannot do God's part. God done his part. My goodness. Let's see. He's redeemed us. He's restored us. He's sent us Jesus. He's forgiven our sins. He's got a plan for us. He's got all this place in place. He's, it's done. It's finished. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Package is ready. All i got to do is step into it. In other words, what I have to understand is, is that when I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I testify to that fact in my life, it's done. It's ready. Let's go. 
But Satan starts whispering, really? Is there really a plan for you? You know, you're not worth much. I can't believe what uh, you did here and you did there, and all of a sudden this stuff begins to echo in our mind. Well, that's not God talking to you. Because the Spirit of God is an encourager. The Spirit of God lifts you up. The Spirit of God enables you. The Spirit of God moves you. The Spirit of God puts you in places where you can really, really begin to serve. So what's our part? We've got to get God's Word down into our heart, into our thinking, into our life to begin to understand the vision, to begin to understand the future. This is a proactive process. You have to understand the plan, the vision God has for you. You have to believe that God's hand is in your future. You don't just see the vision, you begin acting on that vision. Otherwise, you will slide right back to your past. You have to step into it. Let's look at the second part of Proverbs 29, 18 that we read a little earlier where there is no vision, the people uh, are unrestrained. The second part says, but happy is he who keeps the law. So it starts out uh, telling us that if you don't have vision, you're going to be unrestrained. And then right after that, he adds that. So it's got to have something to do with it. But happy is he who keeps the law. Think there's a connection? We must understand God's will is for our life. Proverbs 4, uh, 5 says, Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. So you're going to have to begin to make that word part of your life so that it can transform you. So to get wisdom, there are three steps. If you've been in pastor's leadership class, we've gone over this and over this and over this and over this. The fact that we have to end up with wisdom, but it's a process. The three steps are knowledge, understanding, and application. So you're going to have to be able to apply this to have the wisdom. First off, knowledge, well, for, uh, knowledge is the acquiring of information. Understanding is the interpreting of information. And wisdom is the application of information. So first, getting knowledge. We've got to get God's principles, teachings, lessons, promises, and stories off the pages of the Bible through our eyes and our ears and down into our heart before it can have any transformative power. So the key is the word through your eyes, ears, mind, down into the heart where where you begin to become transformed. So how do we do this? First off, we've got to read the word. Now, reading the Word is so key because as we begin to do that, it begins to transform. Why, uh, we've got to listen to the teaching of the Word. Why in the world do you think that Pastor Tim and Pastor Philemon spend hours crafting sermons, putting together notes for you? Why do they and others teach classes and counsel and listen and speak into your lives? It's all for one purpose. Get the Word into us. We allow those in Christ to speak into our lives is a third thing we do. We're accountable to each other. I trust you to come to me and say, Ray, you know, this isn't looking so good. What's, what's happening? Why are you saying those things? Why are you down? Why are you struggling? And you begin to talk to me. 
I begin to talk to you. Lots of times when that happens, we get real defensive. Oh, what are you seeing? What are you thinking? You know, don't be that way. Let us talk with each other and encourage. But it's all done in love to build each other up. By the way, this process that we're talking about of getting the word into you never stops, whether you're a Christian of a few days or you have been a Christian all of your life. And I want to encourage you. It seems like whenever there are classes, whenever there are special programs, well, a lot of the mature Christians don't show up. You know, I've kind of been here and I've been doing that. And, you know, this is kind of for those that really need, you know, baloney. All of us need to be actively involved in everything that's going on. First off, to encourage all the rest that are in there. Secondly, we need the power of your ministry and your knowledge and understanding about who you are in Christ so the rest of us can grow. And and I've got a little news for you, too. There's been times I've been shocked with some of the new Christians that will say something, and I'll think, whoa, that was good. And we need to share this. All of us become involved. This needs to be part of your week. That's, that's what church is about, is we need each other to grow and be strengthened and, and, um, and uh, be what God wants us to be. Second thing, with wisdom, we have to get understanding. That is, God's understanding, we, we've got the word, and we've gained this knowledge, now it's got to make sense. You have to begin to read the material, but beyond that, the first thing you've got to do is study it. Now, there's a difference in just reading this book and studying the book. Um, When I read something, it's just to kind of grasp what's on that page. But then when I stop and say, wait a minute, you know, that word jumps out at me. What does that mean? And I begin to check that out. Maybe I run a word reference. I begin to try to figure out, you know, how does that fit into my life? Sometimes verses are rather startling. They're not going to think, well, that doesn't apply now. That, you know, that's not me. And I study it more, and I begin to realize, whoa, there's something here I have to understand. So to get understanding, we're going to really have to study. Also, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit will give us insight. It was promised that the Holy Spirit was going to come and be our comforter, but also he came to lead us into all truth, to give us understanding and knowledge. We begin to see how it all fits together then. Third, the application. Now's the fun part. We've read about it. We understand it. Now we're going to have to do something to try to apply it. How do we do this? we begin to live the things that God has shown us. And then we're going to trust God to change us. With knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, the vision for your life will become more and more clear. You begin to see the plan, the vision of what God has done and is doing in your life right now. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So we have to acknowledge him. Now, before you get too concerned, you might say, Oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to start reading this Bible. I'm going to have to read it from page to page, you know, all the way through, and I'm going to try to have to figure it out. When I get done, I'm going to have to go back through this and try That's not what it's about. Let me challenge you. Starting tomorrow, 
find one verse. Just find one verse that's meaningful to you, and then think about it. Just think about it that day. The next day, do the same thing. Just one verse. By the end of the year, you have, will have taken 365 verses, understood them, applied them, and things will begin to change. Or you're going to come across stories. You'll think, well, I don't want to read some more of this. This is interesting. You're going to come across principles, and you think, well, I read this first, but I need to understand the content. You know, this is, you know, you, it's going to grow. But don't see this as a struggle like, oh, boy, I'm, you know, I can't sleep tonight, so I'll get out the Bible. I'll be asleep in just a little bit. <laughs> no, it needs to be, you know, someplace where, where you've got a little time and you're alert and you pull it out and you say, oh, that's a good verse. I can apply that today. There's going to be multiple facets to your ministry, and that multi- those multiple facets are going to be different for each one of us. In other words, there are things in my life that I have giftings and talents and the vision for me is going to be different than yours because God's got a different plan. So let's, um, let's take marriage. Let's say you're married. That's going to be a facet of your vision and your future. And so you got a choice. You can be stuck in the old ways and the old cycles. Or you can catch a vision of what marriage is meant to be and how it honors God. So let's build a little bit of that vision and see how you begin to implement Scripture into that part of your vision. So you may start out and say, well, I want to be happy. Uh, Number two, I want to fight less in my marriage. Number three, I want to be heard. Number four, I want, wait a minute, no, That's not building your vision. These are great thoughts, and there are benefits of a marriage maybe that's running well to where, you know, you're happier and you're fighting less and you're you're hearing each other. But that's not how you develop a vision. You have to stop and carefully consider what would a godly marriage look like. As you see now, you begin to do this for marriage. You begin to do this for your work. You begin to do this for responsibilities you have in the body of Christ. You begin to do this with children. You begin to do it on and on and on with the things that God has put into your life for the vision for your future. College, your career, wherever you're going, what are you supposed to be about right now? Continuing on with what marriage is about, um, Your vision uh, may look more like, maybe you would state it like, a marriage is based on God's view as a husband or wife, verified by his word. That would be a simple way to say, I want to find out what God wants me to be as a husband or a wife, and I'm going to verify it with the word of God. Okay, let's go from there. So we go to Scripture and we find out that marriage, what marriage is, why God instituted it, and what are the biblical principles of marriage. Maybe one of the first things you stumble across in Scripture is, is to realize that it's not your business to fix your husband or your wife. A lot of people don't like to hear that. Wives, it's not your business to start fixing your husband. Oh, he's got this fly. I've got to help him with this. No, he can't do this. He can't do that. Not your business. Husbands, not your job to fix your wives. Oh, well, she does this and she does that. It's not your job to fix your husband or your wife. Anybody disagree with that? Careful. Get in big trouble. 
okay. When you begin to grasp that, that little part of the vision takes shape. It begins to be part of you. Maybe you go to Ephesians and you read something that says, Husbands, love your wife. <laughs> when she starts acting right all over. No, that's not what Scripture says. This Scripture is saying you choose to love your wife unconditionally whether she deserves it or not. Is that right? Anybody disagree with that? Careful. Nah. <laughs> the next one says, wives, respect your husbands. By grab when he acts like right, I will respect him, but not until then. No, this scripture is saying you choose to respect him unconditionally whether he deserves it or not. You see, it's in the same verse. You can't apply it one way and then another. You must respect your husband. Is your wife flawed and sometimes you struggle with saying, I choose to love her? Sure. Is your husband flawed and sometimes he doesn't deserve respect? Sure. But you choose because the word of God says, guess what? Now we've shaped some more of what marriage looks like in the vision and future, what you're supposed to be, because you're married, and that's part of what your future is. You begin to realize that love and respect is a choice, and you choose to do what God asks you to. Your vision is taking shape. Then maybe you read 1 Corinthians 13. Oh, my goodness. There's the epitome of what? Uh, love is all about. Maybe you read the verse and apply it to the context of your marriage. Love will hardly ever notice when the other does it wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes you didn't pick that up. You didn't do this. This isn't orderly. This should be like this. You shouldn't have talked to me this way. It says you don't even hardly notice when those things go wrong. Vision's starting to take shape. Maybe you read the verse that says, love does not keep a record of wrongs. Man, oh man, in 2009, when you did this, that, and the other thing, one thing, and the other, I just couldn't believe, wait a minute, get that off the list. It's been forgiven. It's gone. Your vision, <laughs> your vision is starting to take shape about what your, uh, what your future is in your marriage. On through Scripture, we get knowledge about marriage. Understand that knowledge, apply that knowledge, and your marriage begins to become more and more godly. With the reading and study of Scripture, our mind and heart are steadily being transformed and changed. Our spiritual nature is being nourished and fed. All things are being made new. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'm convinced that when you begin to read Scripture and understand it, your brain physiologically changes. Think about that. Your brain is made up of chemistry synapses and nerves and all the different things that you are. For instance, uh, when we have a habit, like, you know, I know to push in on the gas and let the clutch out one thing, you don't have to think about it. 
because the brain begins to take over and knows exactly what to do and begins to physically uh, make things happen. Well, your brain is so powerful. Well, if you've got to change that habit and you have an automatic transmission, you'll stomp the floor for a while for a clutch when you're shifting because you forget that you've got an automatic transmission. It has to be retrained. Well, all of that happens in chemistry in your brain. If you continue to wash your mind with the Word of God, it will change. It will be transformed. But the key is you've got to stay in the Word. You've got to let it transform you. Scripture will begin to come alive. New scriptures you'll come across will just absolutely change your mind. For instance, maybe you read Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There's a real structure for your future that says, think on these things. Quit thinking about the nasty stuff, the bad stuff, the wrong stuff, the negative things. Think on these things. Now, this isn't just Pollyanna that we're going to play the happy game. No, this is that we are going to say, I think about these things because I choose to let them affect my life. I choose to let them transform my life. And as you do that, things will become more and more shaping to your future. God wants to fill you up with his vision. Christianity is unique in a sense because God wants to fill up your mind with his word. He wants you to meditate on your, uh, in your mind on the word and fill up your brain with that, fill up your heart with that. What happens with other religions in the world? Just look at them. They want you to meditate and empty your mind. The counterfeit of Satan. You know the om, and we just get all peaceful, and we let this stuff go, and empty our mind. They literally say, empty your mind, let it go. No, meditate on the Word and fill it up with the stuff that will drive out the evil. Look to the vision that God has for your life. Search for it with all your heart. Ask God to show it to you challenge you to fulfill the scripture of 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. Now understand, this isn't Pastor Tim or Pastor Philemon's job to make you do this. The responsibility of all of this rests in your heart. They're here to help you. They're here to make it as easy as they can, but they can't do it in an hour on Sunday mornings and an hour uh, on, on Wednesday nights. It's your job day in and day out to make these things happen. I must remind you, though, right here, that this is not going to always be easy. It would be unfair to make it sound like, well, I found my vision, everything's happy, i just got to move on to this. Remember, at the beginning, we talked about Satan who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Just because you grow, just because you step into your vision, doesn't mean that Satan's going to give up. But I love the verse in 1 John 4, 4. Remember, greater is he that is in you 
than he who is in the world. As God is allowed to become more entrenched in your heart, Satan becomes less and less powerful in your life. In the beginning, we talked about the battle Abraham must have had when he was trying hard to figure out what in the world is going on here. I'm supposed to sacrifice my son Isaac. Here's the rest of the story. Abraham looked over into a thicket and saw a ram caught by its horns. He took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. What's important to realize that all the time that Abraham was struggling to follow God's plan, God was working. There was a ram being brought up the other side of the mountain, working, bringing that ram, trusting that Abraham was going to fulfill his part, do what he was supposed to do. God was bringing up the ram the other side of the mountain. The same thing happens with you. All the time you're struggling, have no concern about God. He's working, bringing things into place, no matter how you are struggling. In spite of the temptation and the doubt, Abraham wouldn't let go of the vision. God fulfilled the vision in Isaac, and all the world was blessed by his seed. And who came from the seed of Isaac? Jesus. All because a faithful man listened to God, it would not move back into his past. Thank God that we have been set free from the need of any sacrifice. Jesus became the final and perfect sacrifice for our sin at the cross. We might have the worship team come on up. Remember in the beginning I told you about the uh, friend of mine, very close friend, who was stuck and couldn't seem to ever get moving ahead. Why do you think he was where he was at? I think from what we have examined here, first, he was expecting God to do his part. We have to do our part. And secondly, he could not grasp his vision. For you see, a man without a vision will always return to his past. But with vision, you have a future. With a future... You do not have to return to your past. You will no longer be stuck. You will gain ground. You will live with the knowledge that God reigns in your life and is using you, and he has plans for you. And I want to emphasize again, every single one in this church today has a plan in God's heart. God wants to use you. He wants to move you forward. He wants to have you step into the the right place. I remember reading a story here a while back about a man talking with God, and he was just, God, I just want to do great things for you. I'm just so excited. I, I feel on my heart that I, I really am going to change the world around me in dramatic ways. I'm, your word is going to become a lie because of what I say and what I do. And he said, oh, God was so happy to hear that. And he said, let's start right now. Yeah, I said, see that... Uh, Woman, uh, that way, I mean, that man sitting over on the corner needs right home today. Yeah, but God, you know, and, um, you know, there's a woman that I know of uh, that, you know, her gutters need to be cleaned out this week. I would like for you to begin to step in it. But God, 
I really think that I have bigger plans than that. And God's answer was, think about it. It starts with everything you touch, everything that you are around, everything that you are about, your family, your home, your job, everywhere. What is the plan? What are you supposed to be doing? What is the direction God has planned for you? Now, if God's got a plan for you, do you think he's going to bless it? You've got to step into it. Have you been stuck in your past? Are you struggling with the plan as to what God has for you to do? Has Satan robbed you of that plan? Has he robbed you of the vision? Has he whispered in your ear, that's not for you? Maybe you once saw your plan and began to move and Satan deceived you. People discouraged you and you backed away from it. If any of you feel like you're struggling with those things and you want to regain your vision, you want to begin to move forward with your vision for the future, I'm going to invite you to come up here. And if, if you can, begin to release the things that have, you've struggled with. Let God begin to redefine your vision. Stand up and be the people that God has called you to be. From the guest of Pastor Tim Masters and Victorious Life Christian Center with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Centers with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.